On today's episode of the John Campbell Show podcast, if it actually happens, tell you about that later. I'm going to review Napoleon. It wasn't very good. Uh, Also, we need to talk about the insane, massive floppage of Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Also, the creator of the Ahsoka series talks about the future, if there is one, of Ray Stevenson's Balin character. Speaking of Star Wars, Daisy Ridley is saying that her new Star Wars Ray movie is really going to excite a lot of fans. I don't know that I believe that. (laughs) Also, I'm going to review Wish. What the hell has happened to Disney movies? Uh, and Scream star Melissa Barrera has been fired from Scream 7. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. The John Campbell Show podcast starts maybe right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn related show on the planet Earth. The John Campbell Show podcast is coming to you from right here. In our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, uh, John Campy, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some background and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or maybe even different than ours. Uh, Joining me in studio is Ray Ora. Good morning. Jonathan Voiko's here. Hey, what's going on? Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett. Hello. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thanks so much for being here and making this show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about those topics that I just listed off. Then in the last part of the show, we're going to take your comments and questions. We already asked our beloved YouTube channel members who are great supports to us here to send in some topics a little bit earlier today. We'll get through as many of those as we can. But also, if you're watching live right now, you can use the Super Chat feature to send in a thought, theory, comment, question, whatever. And as long as it's appropriate for us to use on the show, we'll read that off at the end of the show. All right, guys. With that all down, let's get things started here, shall we? And let's talk about this. Napoleon is now out. The newest Ridley Scott film starring Joaquin Phoenix. And there is the, how do you like my yeah. hat? Yeah, it's a nice hat. There's my hat. <laughs> uh, <look> <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Vanessa Kirby, who's super hot right now. Uh, she's got a lot going on. Uh, came out in theaters. Now, they showed us all the way back in April at CinemaCon. They showed us this like 10 minute sequence of this battle that takes place on a frozen lake. And it was jaw dropping. It looked so good. So I was a little bit surprised when early reactions and reviews started to come out about Napoleon, and they, quite frankly, sound a little bit lukewarm. Well, it was with great interest that I went out finally yesterday to watch Napoleon for myself. It's not a good movie. I, I, it's, it's not good. Now, everything is subjective, it's all up to every, movies or art. Art hits us all in different and unique ways. I'm sure there are some people, you know, the critics are roughly split on Napoleon. Um, so there are critics, you know, who I respect that liked it. This is a badly made movie. And, and I'm going to tell you why I, I had such problems with it. Now, first of all, visually, it's beautiful. The cinematography of the movie is, and I'm sure you could tell this from the trailers and everything, are really artistically gorgeous, quite breathtaking to look at, a huge amount of respect for that. Also, the battle scenes felt raw and visceral and, and so well shot. It, it just, 
it really did. It had that, you know, the scenes of the battles felt, and I know this is an overused word, epic. Really did. The, the, the big battle scenes felt big. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. Joaquin Phoenix is Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Vanessa Kirby delivers a, a great performance. But this is a unfocused, random, zero buildup with moderate payoff mess of a movie. And, and I don't like to review a movie by comparing it to another, but just so you understand what I'm trying to say about it, I want to use, say, Braveheart as an example. You know, before a single fight happens in Braveheart, the movie spends time giving us emotional anchors to the stakes of the battle coming ahead, why it's dramatically important, understanding the mindset of, what was Braveheart's real name again in the movie? I keep William forgetting. Wallace. Yeah, William Wallace. William Wallace. You can shoot lightning from his arse. Right. <laughs> like understanding why this was a passionate thing for William Wallace, why this is all. And because I've always said on this show, action without narrative purpose is just visual noise. Right. You guys have heard me say that a million times. Action without narrative purpose is visual noise. Then every time in Braveheart, Braveheart took the battlefield, there was narrative purpose going on. I'm without giving away spoilers. I'm going to give you an example. And this one example represents the entire messiness of the movie. There's a scene in the movie where the Emperor Napoleon is sitting down with a Russian prince, the, the leader of Russia, and they're having this nice drink together and they're talking about their mutual hatred of Britain and how they're going to be brothers and all this kind of stuff, right? Then the movie cuts from that to a completely unrelated scene, that something is do something completely different. And then the very next scene is Napoleon marching to war, narrating a letter, my dearest Josephine, the Russian dude stabbed me in the back. I'm going off to conquer him right now. And you're like, wait, what? You, we just saw a scene with you guys having drinks. Something else happened that was unrelated. And all of a sudden now you're marching off to war. And why should I care? Why, why? There's no emotional hook. I, I like this is, and that's the whole movie. The whole movie is random. And I never felt like they were telling the story of Napoleon. I felt like they were showing us a best of hits list. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like vignettes. Yeah, it just felt like you were watching these random scenes picked for no particular reason. And then I think it was Rupert Everett shows up at the end. It's like, oh, wait a minute. So is Rupert Everett now supposed to be the big bad guy? He literally just showed up out of nowhere and has this one scene. And then all of a sudden he's the big bad guy and then the movie's over. It was just, and, and here's, it's supposed to be about the great love story of Napoleon and Josephine. Napoleon meets Josephine. Hello. Next scene, I cannot live without you. <laughs> like, it's just, you never <laughs> felt it. It never grew. It never became organic. Going back to the comparison to Braveheart, when William meets the girl he falls in love with at the movie, very, very short period of time. But in a very short period of time, they managed to let us feel William Wallace falling in love with her. And you felt the passion. And so when she's I'm falling in love with her right now, I know. And so when she's killed in the movie, it wasn't a random thing that happened in the movie. You were like, William's going to fuck some fools up because yeah. you felt it right. You were emotionally brought into it. Napoleon does none of that. None of it. 
that even when some of these, what should have been big emotional events in the life of Napoleon, they rang hollow because nothing was ever narratively done. It was just one random scene to the next random scene to the next random scene, beautifully shot. But I got to tell you, Rob, I, I walked out, I did not hate the movie, but I walked out very disappointed. I don't think this was a good movie. Now, you loved what you saw at CinemaCon, just like I did. I did. Where's your expectations been? Well, they were pretty high. I mean, you know, it's it, really Scott's an interesting filmmaker. He's somebody I've always admired all the way back to his first feature, The Duelists, that he made before, which is another period piece like this. It takes place in the Napoleonic era. But, you know, John, a lot of his historical movies, like when I saw Kingdom of Heaven in the theater, I didn't like it. But then they released it on video, and it was an hour longer. Yeah, the director's cut. The director's yeah. cut. It was like yeah. a different movie. Yeah. And 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 I feel like, and he's done this. He has so many different cuts. I mean, many of his movies have so many different cuts. Even The Counselor, which I'm a big Counselor supporter, uh, there's a long version of that. And I, I'm always wary of his historical efforts because I feel like, the real movie I'm going to see later when it's an hour longer and released on video and streaming. So and this was not a short movie, by the way. Right, I this know. This was not a short movie. I know. And, and when it you, felt longer than it was. But when you say things like, and this, I, I believe you, when you say things like there's this scene where I'm meeting with the Russian, he's going to be my brother, and then a scene later, or a scene and a half later or something, then we're going to war. And you're like, I, how did that happen? And then you go see the longer version. There's like five scenes that were there that explain what happened. So it, it, I'm always wary of Ridley Scott's period pieces for this reason. I'm still going to go see it because like you said, it's for me, it's worth it just watching the staging. It's visually beautiful. You know, I, mean, I, I can't think take probably Pietro Scalia is editing his film too. I think he edited this one, but I just like watching the man's editorial work as well. So to me, it's worth seeing. I want to see it on the big screen. But I'm disappointed hearing what you said about it. You know, and, and it adds to my disappointment because we talk. Look, let, let's be clear. Ridley Scott is a first ballad Hall of Famer, okay? Ridley Scott's legacy as one of the great directors that we've had is firmly secure, no problem, right? But this kind of came up the other day. You take out The Martian, which was Wonderful. I love the market. I do too. It's it's a especially the longer version of that. Yeah. yeah. But like how many movie. years had passed before The Martian that had come out before since Ridley Scott had a really good film? And what have we had lately? We've had The House of Gucci, which a lot of people didn't like. We had The Last Duel, which I thought was ultimately disappointing. Now we've got this Napoleon I I hate saying it. I I I just think Ridley Scott's lost his edge. I, I just don't feel like he's got it anymore. But then again, then you then all of a sudden out of nowhere comes a movie like The Martian. But how many how long ago was The Martian now? It feels like it was last year. 2015, yeah. It was eight years ago? Oh my god. By the way, I just got a great six scale figure. Oh, you of Matt Dan's character. <laughs> I want it. All right, guys. With that down, let's move in and talk about this, shall we? Uh, speaking of the great all-time directors, you know, Ridley Scott is not the um only big dominant, fabulous, one of the all-time great directors we have working today, Martin Scorsese, who has been in and out of the news headlines, sometimes for the wrong reasons, sometimes for the right ones. But he's got a movie that is in theaters right now, going into its sixth week, that we've been very excited about for a long time, Killers of the Flower Moon. A three-and-a-half-hour film that I thought was very good. 
it was unnecessarily long. I feel a lot the same way about this movie that I felt about uh, The Irishman. It's like really good movie really could have been 40 minutes shorter and actually would have been a better movie, I think, if it had been about 40 minutes shorter. But at any rate, uh, really good movie. Not going to end up in my top five of the year, but solid, another very positive, good movie coming from Martin Scorsese. But there's something about it that nobody seems to want to talk about. Nobody's brought it up. Nobody's making it a focus of discussion. And we've been guilty of this here too. Because when you look at a movie like, say, The Marvels, we've talked at length on this channel about the box office utter failure of that movie. A movie that cost north of $200 million to produce and will not hit the $200 million mark. I mean, it might internationally hit the 200, the overall worldwide hit the $200 million mark. But here's the reality. Killers of the Flower Moon, and nobody wants to talk about this, a $200 plus million production budget movie with one of the all-time great directors and two of the most iconic actors working in, in the business today, both Hall of Famers, both Oscar winners, Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio. This movie by Martin Scorsese, $200 plus million budget, has made, let's go over and take a look at this, has made in over five weeks, $146 million. That's worldwide. That's worldwide. The Marvels has made more than that. And while we have spent a lot of time breaking down, and not just here on my show, but across, across the fan community, everywhere, a, a lot of discussion and breakdown and analysis about the failings of the Marvel's box office has gone on, and yet very little, if any at all, about the complete falling of, on its face of the new Martin Scorsese film, Killers of Flower Moon. And by the way, this is not me hating on this movie. I really like this movie. I think it's quite good. But we need to talk about why did a good movie by one of the all-time greatest directors in the history of the medium with two of the most iconic actors in the world, there's no other way to put it, absolutely get rejected by the audience and fell flat on its face. We broke down and talked about different reasons why we like all bunch of different reasons why we thought maybe the Marvels failed. Why did people not want to go out and see it? We got to do that for here too. Can, right? can I, just from the outside looking in, I haven't seen the movie, but it feels like it's more of a localized movie where someone in China is not going to care about what happened in this movie. You know what I mean? Someone not here. I mean, that might have something to do with it where Marvel should have been a lot more worldwide. Well, but, of- but here's the thing too. Even look, at, again, let's look at the box office here. It's only made $63 million in North America. Yeah. So this isn't a matter of, hey, uh, it made $110 million okay. in America, but only, 10, but only $15 million worldwide. Like it's like, Nobody wanted to go see this movie. So let's break down and talk about why. Why did nobody want to say, why did so many people not go, nah, I don't feel like going and watching that new Martin Scorsese movie. I think there is a couple things at play here. And one is, and this will resonate with Ray, I don't think people want to go to see a three and a half hour movie in the theaters. 
at least there's there's not a lot of people who want to go see a three and a half hour movie in the theaters. Uh, obviously, there are some who have no problem doing that, but I think for a lot of people, they heard this like, oh, a new Martin Scorsese. Oh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, how long is it? Three and a half hours? That was their expression, too. They're like, yeah, that's uh, the expression. Like, okay. eh. My wife was in labor less than that, you know? <laughs> it's, I, so three and a half hours. I, I think that is not the thing, but I think that's one of the factors you can't ignore. I think a second thing is this. Again, not the factor. I think a, a number of Martin Scorsese's comments about certain types of films out there that a lot of people are fans of, I think rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And I think some people have been turned off Martin Scorsese. I don't think they should be turned off Martin Scorsese, but I think there is an aspect of this that uh, some people have just been turned off Martin Scorsese because he's spent the last couple of years talking crap about movies they love. And again, I don't think that should turn you off from seeing this movie, but I think that's been a piece of it, a part of it. Another thing to this is, let's be honest, Killers of the Flower Moon, while I think the trailers have looked fantastic, it's not what one would call an exciting looking movie. There's a lot of people who like out who like to go to theaters. People go to the theaters for a lot of different reasons. I think there are a bunch of people who like going to theaters for certain types of movies. They like to be, go to feel thrilled, to feel excited, to have the adrenaline pump. And uh, let's be honest, Killers of the Flower Moon, as good as I think it looks, to a lot of people probably might have looked boring to some people. I don't think we can say that Leonardo DiCaprio isn't a draw because of this one movie not making any money. But I don't know. Like, clearly, having Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio's name on the marquee didn't get people out to the theaters. Uh, maybe another part of it is that in this new era of streaming, more and more people are just thinking, ah, I'll wait for it to come out in home video because this is clearly going to end up on Apple TV+, Plus, much like Marvel's will end up on Disney+, Plus and what have you. So that could be a factor as well. But Rob, as, as we sit here and we look at this $200 million production budget film with some of the most iconic Oscar-winning names in the history of the business attached to it, a movie that is quite good. Why did nobody want to go to the theater to go see it? Why did people not go out and support this movie? What are some of your theories on that? John, I, I think that, I mean, I, I hate to even say this, but I believe this to be true. This is not the kind of experience that gets people to want to go to a cinema. Mm -hmm. I mean, we as astute cinema goers... And, and and somebody who appreciates Scorsese's filmmaking because it is quite, a, I think, an, an excellent film. It's beautifully made. But I could never get someone like, say, my mom to go out and see this movie. There's nothing in it that would be, a, she'd be like, oh, that sounds depressing. I mean, it's, you know, it's about a pretty dark period of American history. And it is the kind of thing, the length is a problem. The subject matter is a problem. It doesn't even matter who's in it. Uh, I just think that most people, there's, what's the draw? You know, in this day and age, people are going to in a movie where like Oppenheimer made a billion dollars because it had Barbie. But even the thing about Oppenheimer, it had the atomic bomb. It had one man, you know, one man. And it, it there was things about it. This even the title Killers of the Flower Moon. There's so many things in it that I think are off putting to the general audience. 
Mm. And it doesn't give them, you know, people are going to the movies now for spectacle, for, for, to feel good, to, to, to be moved in some certain way. Whereas this movie is not what I think audiences of today are running out to see in a theater. Regardless, I do think like we were talking about earlier that you can't, you can't judge it in terms of box office the way you judge Marvel because Apple's primary business is not making movies, even though, as you pointed out, they, they, they're putting more money into it. They still have their, their tablets and their phones and their computers, and that's their primary business. So you'll end up watching this. On Apple TV, will or you'll end up watching people? it. I mean, I mean, I guess that's the question for me: is is at the end of the day, I think a lot more people will watch it at home, as it, opposed to like say yeah. other. Absolutely, other I, you know what? I think that there's enough interest in this movie. Yep. That's when people are going to catch up with this, like three and a half hours. Then they're going to sit down and watch it, and they'll find out it's probably. They're gonna, so, are we saying that Martin Scorsese is no longer viable for the movie business? Like he can only make. And I'm, this isn't a rhetorical question. I mean, I'm wondering, is Martin Scorsese now a relic? And I'm not saying he is, but that his the only place his place can go is on streaming where somebody might want to click on it and check it out. Or can he still be a viable theatrical release guy? No, because he makes a Wolf of Wall Street that's almost three hours long. Incredible, I mean, way. that movie, dude, I saw that, that movie like Christmas Day. Yeah. The audience loved it. But to your point. With today's audiences, that was flashing and popping. Mar- yes. Wall Street, and yeah, 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 I'm not leaving. And, you know, yeah, like so. No, I mean, it, Margot it, Robbie spreading her legs for. Yeah, her, well, her, yeah I mean that movie. DiCaprio. That movie was a rapturous experience in a the theater, especially with an audience roaring. You know, and I really do think it. Look, I want to live in a world where Scorsese can make Killers of the Flower Moon or The Silence, but I also want him to be able to make A Wolf of Wall Street. You know, and I think it really depends on the kind of movies that are being made. And, and that's where the people that decide to make movies come in. Like if if I think only Apple would have made this anyway. See, I, I'm seeing a comment like somebody saying, well, people knew it was going to come to Apple. So they waited. Well, I don't consider that a valid thing because then you can say the exact same thing about the Marvels. Like everybody knows it's going to be on Disney Plus. Is that why the Marvels flopped on its face financially? I get, I just think it's. It's very interesting that three of the best names in the business with a very good movie and ain't nobody wanted to go see it. And and plus today with today's movies, there's a lot of factors that go into. I have a reason why I would rather watch this at home. I, I you know, If there's a way couch. to pay for it so it could get box office, then I would if I could watch it at home. There's some people's like situations are different. So. It's like, it's so random. But doesn't that apply to every movie that comes out though? Even more today, like you have all the streaming service, people are on their phones, people have YouTube. Like, oh, I don't want to spend money. I'll just watch something on YouTube or watch... Watch the John Campion. There's so many things that people are doing that it's uh, it's hard to gauge why a movie totally flopped. Like the the main reason why it flopped. It's just so funny. If you had told me not long ago that there'd just be this little... Five Nights at Freddy's movie that they made for like $20 million All in right. bus fare, and it would beat a Martin Scorsese and a Marvel film at the box office. I would have said you were crazy, but here we are. But there's also also 
you could go, you could have two showings of the Marvels in the time that it takes to watch yes. all of. Yeah. So that length alone is going to cut your, I would say, by two thirds because you can only have one or two showings of this a day. Right, but that only applies if the screenings are getting sold out, right? Well, yes. So it doesn't. But, I mean, like if the screenings are getting sold out, then you can say, well, it would have made even more money if it was able to have more screenings. But if nobody's going to go see the screenings that you're having, I don't know if that would. But I mean, if this were half the length. You'd a at lot least more people would have gone. I, I think that's one of the big reasons was that I think a lot of people got turned off by the length. Yeah. You might need to like really go through his edits for his next films if they're going to be longer and just I possibly agree. think about it. Maybe maybe just include it on the the the, the streaming service, I, I the think, longer version. I think all filmmakers are going to have to really start rethinking uh, how long they make things. Anyway, guys, I'm sure a lot of people are going to have a lot of different opinions about that, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, with that down, guys... Let's move on and talk about this. So the Ahsoka series has come and gone. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't like it very much. I was super excited about it because I love Rosario Dawson and I really liked her iteration of Ahsoka that we've seen uh, on the screen up until this point. I didn't really like the show. We've talked at length about the fact that the viewership of it continuously dropped over the, the lifespan of the show. But even for some, and a lot of people liked it. Let me, let me point that out. A lot of people also like the show. But even for people like me who say we're underwhelmed by the show, I think everybody agrees. One of the great highlights, maybe the best thing about this show was Ray Stevenson and his character, Balin. I thought this was seriously one of the best characters that we've seen in Star Wars period in a long time. Because, you know, he embodies one of those things that I love most in about villains, a villain who truly thinks they are doing good and thinks they are doing the right thing and thinks they're the hero of the story. And that is a character like Balin. Now, of course, tragically, we lost Ray Stevenson, which is not just a loss for this character, but I think a loss for all film fans because he was incredible. But it did bring up the question about, do they continue on with Balin? You know, we've seen situations before where an actor inhabiting a popular role dies and They've just retired the character, wrote off the character. We've seen some situations where they recast. So what is going to be Disney and Lucasfilm's approach to Balin? Well, Dave Filoni, the, the creator of the Ahsoka series, was asked about that, and he said the following. On the character's potential future, Dave Filoni added, obviously, there's a story there. We're in a wait-and-see pattern at this point, but I'm glad the conversation is about Ray and how great he was. I used to have many debates with him and say, Ray, you're the villain here. And he'd be like, I don't think so. I was like, I know you don't think so, but you are. I love that you're playing it like you're not, which is exactly the way B Balin thinks. So Dave Filoni right now is, is talking about the fact that, look, they had clearly a storyline plan for this character. I mean, one of the complaints about the Ahsoka series is that it ended with basically no conclusion to anything, but, you know, they leave off with Balin standing at this cliff, looking at some significant things, and it just kind of left it there. So clearly there was a plan. I know he's saying we're taking a wait and see, and I know we all loved Ray Stevenson as the character, but the character I think endures and just like I felt they should have recast the role of T'Challa instead of killing off the character, I really hope, and I, I think it to me, Rob, I'm, I'm listening to what Filoni's saying. 
And while he's saying we're going to take a wait and see, to me, it sounds like he's leaning towards, yeah, the story of Bailey needs to keep going. We need to, we're just going to have to get another actor to come in and play the role. And those are going to be big shoes to fill. But I think a lot of people will want to see where does the story of this particular character go that, frankly, I thought was the best thing about the Ahsoka series. Anyway, do you think they, number one, should they recast the character or should they just leave his story off there on that abandoned planet? And then the bigger question is, will they recast the character or will they just write the character out? How do you think? I think they should 100% recast him. And it would be a situation, I mean, the way he looks with the beard, it's not as obtrusive like Dumbledore. They were able to recast Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies. Michael Gambon became a great Dumbledore. You know, and I think that that it's absolutely, I love this character the same way I love Luthen in uh, Andor. Mm. I think that he's a great, great Star Wars character. I think he really adds to the franchise. And there's no reason why they shouldn't recast him. Now, will and they? This is not to take away from Ray Stevenson, by the oh, way. Of course not. Who's no. amazing. I think they absolutely will. All right, guys. What do you think that they're going to do with this Balin character? I, I am, like I said, I was disappointed with a lot of the show, but that was one of the things that I loved, and I would love to see that storyline continued. I think they will. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. All right, guys, listen. We still got to talk about a number of other things. In the world of Star Wars, Daisy Ridley saying people are going to be really excited about her new Ray movie. Will they, though? Um, also, we got to review the other, the new Disney film that just came out, Wish. And also, Scream is not going to have, well, two of its major stars, but one of them because they just fired her. We're going to discuss that all that coming up here in just a bit. But before we get to that, we're going to take just a quick moment and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at DraftKings and Fume. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, DraftKings. There's so much to be thankful for. Family, friends, food, and NFL football all week long. DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping your Thanksgiving week full of action. New customers can bet just five bucks on the NFL action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. No matter your appetite, there's something for you. Money lines, parlays, props, live bets, and so much more. You name it, they've got it. And it's a big Thanksgiving week. Detroit Lions are favored over the Green Bay Packers. The Dallas Cowboys are favorite over Washington. Who will you pick? So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code Campia. New customers can bet five on the NFL Thanksgiving action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with the code Campia. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com football terms. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Fume. Quitting cold turkey is great in theory, but you and I both know it's way...
or uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavor air device that does just that. See, instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. I personally didn't know what to expect when I first got my Fume. I mean, I've never liked vapes, but my goodness, the taste. The first time I tried it, I was completely sold on it. It was incredible. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 150,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. You gotta try the new Solano Fume. It's made with a premium walnut barrel and an onyx-coated mouthpiece that has a slightly softer finish. Start the holidays off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash campia and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 20% off until December 1st when they use my code campia to help make starting the good habit that much easier. So start the good habit at tryfume.com slash campia to save an additional 20% off the journey pack today until December 1st and 10% off year round. And thank you to our friends at DraftKings and Fume for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Daisy Ridley has a new Star Wars movie movie allegedly coming, because we've heard of a lot of Star Wars movies that are coming that have never seen the light of day, but they say we're going to get a new Ray movie. Not Ray Aura, which I think more people would be interested in, but rather... Ray from Star Wars is getting new, and she's saying that she thinks people are going to be excited for it. Now, she was actually just talking about this recently. She said the following about the situation. She said this, I know the storyline for one film. Apparently, it's supposed to be a new series of films. I know the storyline for one film. That's not to say that's all it is, but that's what I was told about. And I imagine it will be the next film, I think. I mean, again, I don't know, post-strikes and everything, how quickly everything will start up again. But yes, so far, I know the story of one film, and I think people will be very excited. All right. So, (laughs) actor saying people are going to love their new movie. Okay. In other news, water wet. Yeah, we get it. But it does, of course, bring up the whole topic again about the future of Star Wars, where it's heading, and what I still consider to be a very odd decision to make another movie around the Ray character. Now, for the record, um, I really like Daisy Ridley. And I am not somebody who is a hater of the Star of the uh, the the sequel era films. I hated one of them, The Rise of Skywalker. I hated that movie. Um I was, okay. I mean, I, there were things I loved about The Last Jedi, things I hated about The Last Jedi, whatever. And I loved the first one. I loved The Force Awakens. I did. But here's the thing. As somebody who is not just a flat-out hater of, the, of all three of them, you cannot deny, and we've had this discussion before, Rob, you can't deny that the character of Rey has become a very polarizing figure for Star Wars fans. And to be honest, even as somebody who loved one of those movies and was good with one of the other ones, even I am somebody who believes that, hey, if you want to heal the fandom, if you want to, you know, close, rebuild those bridges and heal the fandom and stuff like that, 
I don't think you come out and go back to those characters again. Because again, I think you're already starting with one foot, you know, in the fire. I, I, I think you're starting off with a whole bunch of people who are already going to be not vocally, but maybe mentally and emotionally against this movie. Why would you make a new movie when you know you've already lost half the audience? Half the audience is already not going to be interested in it because of this. I, I just kind of feel like this is something they should be moving on from. Now, is it possible that Daisy Ridley could be right and that when we see this movie, it's awesome? I mean, that could flip the, the narrative on its ear. I mean, what do we always say? Winning cures everything. Nothing fixes a bad situation like winning. It, it seems to make most of your problems go away. And if maybe this movie comes out and it's utterly fantastic and it's great and it proves everyone wrong and it's wonderful and everybody gets behind it, fantastic. That's what I hope happens. But the more likely scenario, I, I sadly feel, is that there are already a ton of Star Wars fans going, not interested in that. What? How, how are you moving your franchise forward by coming out with a movie that already half of your fan groups are going to go not interested in that. And, and so all I can say, Rob, is kind of much like Superman Legacy. This movie better be, part of my language, this better be fucking great. Like this movie better be awesome because the decision to make this movie and green like this movie to me is still very confusing. Anyway, and I say that as somebody who loved her in one of the movies. What do you think about her statement saying that she believes people are going to be really excited about this movie? I Look, I, like with you, I, I certainly am not, and I love Star Wars my whole life, just because Daisy Ridley's character of Rey, and I think Daisy, Daisy Ridley is actually quite a good actress. I think she's very good. And and I, I think that she's got a lot to show the world. I, I just don't know if it should be in a Star Wars movie. Look, I think they really need to, John, you know, thinking about Ahsoka, thinking about Andor, thinking about all these things that we've been getting, I think what Disney really needs to do is recontextualize what Star Wars is. And if you look back at what the, the Skywalker family, all of that's essentially done. Now, what you have left is this eternal struggle in the Star Wars universe between the dark and light sides of the Force, embodied in the Sith of the Jedi. And if you think back and you ask fans with ex knowledge of the extended universe... People talk about doing a Knights of the Old Republic movie, thousand years back or whatever. Really interesting, where you could re-examine the conflict between the Sith and the Jedi in a different way, just like you could go into the future and do the same thing. That's the key, I think, to keeping Star Wars vibrant as a brand. You've got to jump backwards or forwards and examine this eternal struggle that exists in the Star Wars universe. And adding, bringing back Rey to do something, I mean... Is it a Rocky franchise where you're just going to just there's going to be a family and then adjuncts of the family and maybe cousins of the family and people who once knew the family? Is that what we're going to focus on or are we going to figure out a way to tell all these different stories in the Star Wars universe around the core basic tenet, which is this eternal struggle between the dark and the light sides of the force? I don't know, but I don't think Ray's the one that we should be excited for. See, and I think this is a character that we could have done it through yep but through the progression of the star wars sequels 
culminating in what I thought was a truly, and there are people who like the movie and I'm not taking that away from anybody, but culminating what I thought was a truly awful the Rise of Skywalker film really? with with the whole Palpatine grandfather idiocy and all this kind of nonsense. I just think you 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 Disney ultimately put Ray the character in the place that she's not the viable character to move things forward. That wasn't the fans. That wasn't anybody else. Disney made Ray a non-viable character to move the franchise forward. Hundred percent. So uh, you know what's John? What I don't understand is is. In The Force Awakens, Rey's established, but other than finding out her parentage, she doesn't really want anything. She doesn't really discover anything. She's already powerful. She already can fly the Falcon. She already can wield a lightsaber. As opposed to the great, beautiful thing about the original trilogy is Luke has a tragedy, and he says to Ben Kenobi, I want to go to Alderaan and become a Jedi like my father. He's want, and we watch that journey, and what does that entail? And it draws the audience in. You're like, yes, Luke, we're with you. I'm going to go on your journey. What journey is Ray on? Sounds like a bunch of haters in here. Well, I'm no, not hating. No, she, I, I think, see, and that's the thing. I thought she did have that journey in the first movie. You know, uh, like, but it was a little bit too similar to, to Luke's story, but she dreams of a galaxy far, far away. She's on, she's... She's got a little bit of a worse life than Luke had because she's got to scavenge, fight her whole life, all this kind of stuff, and something happened, blah, blah, blah. But to me, it's where they went with it after that. They, was, because they didn't have a plan. Right. They had no plan, and it went off the rails. And anyway, I just... So, again, I'm not trying to condemn it. I'm just saying that you brought that character to a place where that character is no longer the viable one to move the franchise forward. Ray, what's, you, what's the chances of... Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Uh, John Boyega, his most recent comments where he flipped around. And oh, said, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's changed he's his show tune. Up in this for sure. He, uh, no, for sure. No. But, but for those of you who don't know what Ray's referring to, we all know John Boyega was saying, you ain't going to Disney plus me. And uh, a lot of comments about how he was done with stores. He's walked back a lot of that recently. So, which makes me think maybe he'll <laughs> pop up in this stuff too. I, I don't know. Boyega, by the way, is an incredible talent. Yeah, yeah. He's he in, nobody's doubting that. Well, they could karate kid it and they could bring Jackie Chan in go. and make Jackie Chan a Jedi. And, yeah. and Ralph Macchio, because you don't have yep, you can't, the other. You, Yeah, you got to have him and Ralph Macchio. You don't have the bread without You know the butter, what? You got to bring Jason Bourne. And Palpatine. Oh, and yeah. Palpatine's got to be and there Bourne. again. Ah, all right. Guys, questions for you. Do you think people are going to get excited for this new Ray movie? I certainly hope they do. I hope they prove everybody wrong. I hope it's awesome. I'm just saying I have my doubts. I have my doubts. Anyway. (laughs) All right, guys. With that down, let the happy train continue as we move on to this next topic. (laughs) Talk about the new Disney film, Wish. You know, I I got a soft spot in my heart for all Disney, Pixar, animated films. I don't love them all, but I mean, I got a soft spot in my heart for them. You know, under the Disney umbrella, Pixar put out Elemental earlier this year, which is fantastic. Started off really badly at the box office. Looked like it was going to completely flop. Ended up making nearly half a billion dollars because word of mouth was so good. It was great. Now, back at CinemaCon in April, Disney brought out and showed us one of the big musical numbers, um, for Wish. And it was, I mean, it didn't blow me away, but it, it looked pretty good. But, you know, uh, speaking of that musical number, <clears throat> and so I make this wish that this movie could be better than this. This ain't good. 
It is bad. It is bad. This is not a good movie. Um, it's not what we wish we had. It is not what we wish we had. This is a poor movie. Um, and listen, I, I say that acknowledging that I think the audience score is in the 80s. So the majority of the audience, maybe a lot of young kids, whatever, majority of the audience like the film. I fully acknowledge that. I'm not taking any of that away. Uh, the critic score is, I think, sub 50% right now, but it's close to 50%. So evenly split. This was not a good movie, man. Yeah, 47, this, 83. 47 is, is, is what the critic scores at yeah, now? Yeah, and 83. And 83 for the audience score. So I acknowledge that the majority of the audience likes it. I'm not one of these film critics where if the audience score isn't the same as my opinion of it, that I try to discredit the audience score. No, I, hey, I acknowledge it. A lot of people seem to like it. That's great. But not only is Wish not a good movie, but it kind of symbolizes everything wrong with all of Disney's films right now. And by all, I, I mean that in a general context. There are clearly some exceptions. But I mean, here's the thing. You have this movie with this great character, Asha. She's a really good new character in, in the Disney things. She's, she's a warm-hearted, uh, innocent, but wide imagination character who can sing the shit out of a song, right? I mean, just a great classic Disney character. I love the character. You have this potential foil with King Magnifico, voiced by Chris Pine, who is truly a highlight of this film. And they introduced this thing in I the movie. I want to look like that. I, I hope I look like that. I go for that facial. Many, oh, I think Ray Chris can help Pine, you out with that. Hearing Chris Pine sing about how handsome he is is pretty funny. But they, <laughs> they set it up beautifully. The, King Magnifico, this is all in the setup of the movie. I'm not spoiling anything. King Magnifico created this, built this city. On rock and roll? To, <laughs> on rock and roll. <laughs> so he built this city, him and his wife built this city as a safe place where people can go and never have to fear. And because he, they mentioned, had this tragic thing that happened when he was a child and he didn't want that to happen to anybody else again. Okay, so they introduced that part, right? So you think, I think, sitting in the movie theater, ooh, that's going to come into play. The fact that King Magnifico, and they don't tell you what that tragedy is. It's just some torn, uh, like a banner that's sort of a portrait of his of his family that you, you're just left to guess, ooh, something bad happened when he was a kid and it kind of motivated him and it's like, that's going to come into play later in the movie. That's going to become a big, big, important thing in this movie. It's never mentioned again. The core motivation for your antagonist was never mentioned again. And there's a little song, by the way, the songs are not particularly memorable in this movie, like a lot of other Disney films, not memorable in this one. And so I make this wish is a pretty good little song. Uh, King Magnifico's got this. This is the, a song called this is the thanks I get, which isn't bad, not bad songs, but nothing that's th let's put it this way. There's no, we don't talk about Bruno in this movie. There's nothing that people are going to be singing for the next while uh, in this film. So the music kind of fell on its face, but you have this kingdom in the city and ultimately comes down to this big climactic battle at the end where out of nowhere, something happens where there's this power that really was just barely referenced in a song early in the film, but had nothing to do with the story of the movie. It's just, and here's what I mean when it says this is kind of highlights a lot of the problems with all of Disney's films. 
Like whether you're talking about Lucasfilm, whether you're talking about Disney Animation, whether you're talking about Star Wars, whatever. They have some really good characters. King Magnifico, Asha is a very good character. And they just then don't think it's vitally important to write a really good, cohesive, well-flowing story around it. And so you're left with, and I know I said, oddly enough, the problems with, there's a lot of problems in Napoleon that are the same problems here, that you're left with a movie with, she's got a group of these four or five friends. I couldn't tell you the names of any of them. I, I, I couldn't tell you a single name out of any of her friends. Alan Tudyk as the voice of the goat, scene stealer. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but all of his best lines are kind of hey, standard. He's in the no trailer. Black Philip. Yeah, no. Jeez. Maybe he not. is Black Philip. Live deliciously. Maybe he this maybe this is a Black Philip origin story. I gotta say, I hope not. <laughs> but I I mean, you're literally left with, I'm in this kingdom. Oh, you're bad now. And I I wanna kind of temper what I say because I don't want to give spoilers away for those who are planning to go see it. Um, but it's just that the movie made no sense. It made no sense. And then they introduced these really interesting potential character hooks that they let just die in a vine and never revisit and never come back around to it. Like, especially the King Magnifico thing is, is like the biggest sin to me um, in this movie where like when we meet this guy who's going to be the antagonist of the film and we get introduced to this, he, the whole reason he does what he does is because of something tragic that happened to his family in the past. And you're left to think this is going to have a payoff. This is going to come up later. This is going to be a part of the core about how ultimately maybe to defeat the antagonist. Much like Ray Fiennes and Annie Taylor-Joy's movie, The Menu, where she's realizing, researching, and his first job, the, the chef's first job was working in this burger place. And as she sees the only pictures of him where he's happy and smiling is when this great world-renowned chef used to work at this burger joint. So what did she do? She tells him that of any dish that he's going to create for her for her last meal, she asked him to make her a cheeseburger, right? They had this big, delicious payoff at the end, this thing they set up. And you're kind of expecting something like that in here, but it just doesn't. It's just that this well-meaning guy, tragic thing. Now he's crazy evil. And it's just, and no no heartfelt development with Asha, although they could have done some really interesting things with her, her deceased father. Uh, the friends were just random insert. It was open AI, write four friends for the main character. Okay, and here they go. Um, so not mem memorable music, no payoff with the narrative flow, no real sense to the movie whatsoever, a wasted antagonist. Listen, there's not a things that are straight up bad about the movie. There just was a a real painful, obvious lack of a lot of good. Um, so while I respect that there's, it's got a good audience score right now and I'm happy that it does and I hope it has success. I, I think you take a pass on Wish. Like I said, I wish this movie was better. It's, uh, it just wasn't. Have, have you, did you, I, I didn't ask you, did you sneak out to see it yesterday when it opened? No, I, I, I didn't. I was at a sound mix all, all day yesterday. I'm shocked. So uh, I'm yeah, shocked. I, I didn't, I know. I didn't run out. But I, you know, look, I want it to be good. You know, every time I go to a Disney movie, I hope I hope it surprises me as much as The Emperor's New Groove did when I saw that. And I was like, wow, this is good. Yeah. Cusco. By the way, somebody's asking me, uh, uh, Bobby Jackson in the live chat is asking me, but will kids like it? 
I, I think so. I think kids will like it. Listen, it's bright. It's colorful. They're singing animals. Uh, Alan Tudyk the goat makes joke, jokes about his butt. There's at least three jokes about his butt. And I got to ma- you think I would get tired after the first joke. Actually, it's pretty funny. Uh, and the, the kid, the talking rabbits and everything. So yes, I think kids will like it. I do. I think kids will enjoy it. If you've got kids and you're looking for something to bring them to the movie theater for, this is a harmless film to do. But the best Disney animated films and the best Pixar films are the ones that are not for kids. They are kid-friendly, but they're for everybody. And as a movie that should be for everybody, I think this movie lacks. I don't think it's a good one. So there's uh, that. Oh, well, I still got Elemental. Elemental was fantastic. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, Scream is uh, coming out soon. So they're going to go into production soon on Screen 7 as they're uh, frantically now working with the writer strike over to get the script finalized and finished. But they're going to have to do it without at least one of their stars. And now we find out without two of the stars. As news came out, you can see this here in The Hollywood Reporter the other day, that Melissa Barrera, the new final girl in the Scream series, was fired by, I think, Spyglass, mm-hmm. uh, who makes the Scream movies, uh, after social media posts that uh, they that Spyglass uh, categorized as anti-Semitic and, and crossed into hate speech and whatever, and all that kind of stuff. So, so she's gone. Uh, by the way, uh, Jenna Ortega is also now out uh, of it. But as The Hollywood Reporter stated, The Hollywood Reporter wrote that, um, it was their understanding that her representatives told Spyglass Entertainment that she was not going to be able to do Scream 7 during the writer's strike. So the Hollywood Reporter is saying that they that they had already told them that, and Deadline uh, is also writing this. Uh, Deadline is right that the departure of Jenna Ortega has nothing to do with the fallout from Melissa Barreras, because there's a whole bunch of people going around right now saying that uh, Jenna Ortega quit because they fired uh, Barrera, that is not true. Uh, I mean, we talked about the fact that there was word going around months ago that Jenna Ortega might not be able to do Scream 7. Uh, Hollywood reporters saying that they had or- her reps had already told Spyglass during the actor strike that she wasn't going to be able to do it. And now Deadline is also right. It has nothing to do with the follow from Lisa Barrera's firing yesterday by Spyglass Media over the actress' social media posting. Uh, basically, they go on to say it had more to do with the fact that because of the massive scheduling upheaval, and all that kind of stuff that's caused by the writer and the actor strike. She's got Wednesday season two she's got to do. She's got to do final pickups for Beetlejuice. She just can't do the film anymore, which in her contract, in all actors' contracts, there are clauses about when if schedules move and everything and no and that creates scheduling conflicts, the actor can then back out. Um, what is not in there is an actor can't back out of a contract because another actor got removed from a movie. That's not something contractually can do. So, both the Hollywood Reporter deadline put that to rest. So if you hear anybody saying, oh, she quit because they fired her, it's nonsense. This was already well known before. Now, we are not here to talk about the Israel-Hamas conflict. That's not what we do on this channel. There are many, many, many other YouTube channels where you can go and news networks and everything if you want to go go those discussions. What we are concerned about here is the movie business. And here we have a situation now where... I'm not going to say a blockbuster film because I don't even think the last Scream movie even made... Ray, can you look yeah. it up? But I don't think Scream 6 even made $200 million at the box office. Let's check it out. I mean, it was successful because they made it for pocket change. But, I mean, it's I, I don't. It's not like it's a big blockbuster thing. 
that being said, as Ray looks up that yeah. info. Oh, we're talking about Scream 6, right? 169 million worldwide. 169 million? Yeah. Okay, so 100, so didn't even come close to $200 million. So it's not like some huge blockbuster franchise. But there are people who are big Scream fans that were looking forward to the next installment of Seven. And now the girl who was the lead of the last two uh, is not going to be there. First thing I should mention is this. The lead actress of the entire franchise, Nev Campbell, was not in the last movie at all, and the movie did fine. So I, I just I just want to throw that out there first. The definitive lead of the entire franchise was not in the last movie, and the movie did okay. So I just, just want to say this. But Spyglass made the decision to remove Melissa Barrera from their stuff. And the big question that's been going out there is should they have done it? And that's actually the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, guys, if you've got a question for us and you'd like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and send it in at 951-268-4259. The basic question is, did the studio do the right thing or not? Check it out. Hey, John, this is Alan. I just saw on Deadline that they're reporting that Melissa Barrara has been dropped from Scream 7 due to some of her Instagram stories that have been perceived as anti-Semitic, essentially. I just want to get your thoughts on this, and do you think the studio or overreacted if this was even remotely the right decision? Thanks. Love to hear your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Alan. Um, all right. Let me say this. There are, There's going to be some people out there before I get to, do I think the studio should have let her go? There are going to be, and there already are people out there who are saying this is an issue of free speech. It's not. This is not an issue of free speech. Melissa Barrera did not get thrown in jail. Uh, she's not facing criminal charges. But as I often say in this show, and nobody likes to acknowledge, free speech and that freedom is a two-way street, Right? I have the freedom to say, I think your mother's a whore. I can say that. I can How say that. dare I know, you? But I can say that's my opinion. I, in my opinion, I think you're, but I'm not talking to anybody here. I can say your mama's a whore. I think your mama's a whore. I can say that. I have the freedom to say that. That's freedom of speech. But you then have the freedom to not invite me over for dinner. I have the freedom to say that I think your mom's a whore, but you also have the freedom to say, well, uh, if you're going to say stuff like that, I am not inviting you to my home for dinner. And you're with totally good to say that. Freedom goes both ways. All right? Freedom of speech is about protecting us from government persecution for what we say. Not about everybody else just has to suck it up that we said what we said and do nothing about it. That's not what freedom of speech is. It's not censorship either. Someone yeah. said censorship. And it's, it's not censorship. Her posts are still there. She's totally censorship. free to say whatever she wants to say. But... But just like I'm free to say, I think your mother's a whore and you have the freedom to say, well, I don't want to associate with you anymore. You have the right to do that. Just like when Brie Larson comes out and says she thinks there's not enough representation of enough diversity in film critics. Guess what? She's allowed to say that. And other people are allowed to say, whether I agree with them or not, they're allowed to say, well, then you know what? Because you said that I'm not going to go see your movies. You have the freedom to do that. 
If you're somebody who says, I'm not going to go see Brie Larson's movies because she said something I don't like. Are you infringing on her free speech? Hey, you're censoring her, right? Are you censoring Brie Larson by not going to her movies because she said something you didn't like? No, of course not. She's free to say that. You're free to, to act accordingly. And if you don't want to go to see her movies as a result, that's fine. Now, how this all connects, I think, in a way to this situation is... And you notice we're not talking about whether or not we agree with her statements. That's yeah, irrelevant. Someone's That's, saying she didn't deserve it. What are you saying? No, we're not saying she deserved it or didn't deserve it. No. We're just talking about what's happening. Yeah, we're simply saying this. And my point is this. You're in a business, right? You're in a business. And when you're in business with other people, fair or unfair, what you do reflects on the people you're in business with. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm not saying it's unfair. But when you are in business together, what you do reflects on the people you're in business with. And if the studio says, look, you're going out there doing these things in public and saying these things in public, and we don't want to be associated with that. We think you doing that and us being associated with you is going to hurt our business. We think what you're doing is going to hurt us. And so just like a dinner party host has the right to not invite somebody if they think they're saying things about their mother, a studio or any business has the right to go, you know what, you're free to say whatever you want to say, but we don't want to be associated with that. We don't, we don't want to be a part of that. So you continue to say whatever you want to say, but we're going to go in a different direction. You know, Rob, I remember back, a lot of people don't know about this, but in California, this was very shortly after I moved to LA, there was a prop on one of the elections about whether or not California should allow gay marriage, right? And there was a company, I won't say the company because there were a couple of them and you probably know who I'm talking about, but there was a company that was supporting the ban gay marriage uh, position, and there were a number of people who worked for that company that said, well, we're not going to work here anymore. They were not trying to take away that company's free speech rights. It's just that those people said, you know what? We don't want to be associated with what you are standing for right now. You're free to have that opinion. You're free to support it if you want but my freedom says I don't have to be associated with you. And a bunch of people quit those companies as an expression of that freedom that they have. I don't think it's much different the other way around, you know, because you got to understand when you're in the show, when you're in show business, you are in the business of public perception. I'm sorry. You may, you might not want to hear that. You might want to think it's just some fairy tale gold dust all the time. I can do whatever I want. But the reality is you are in the public perception business. And if you are going to start to represent something that other people in business with you don't want to be associated with, then they have the right to say, we're going to move on to somebody else. And you have the right to keep saying what you're saying and go and work with somebody else. Uh, so I know it's not the popular thing to say, but she had every right to say what she said. But the company also had every right to say, uh, we don't want to be associated with that. We didn't start this. We didn't choose this fight. But we don't want to be associated with that, so we're going to move on. Now, getting back to the question, though, do I think they did the right thing by letting her go? 
And would I have done that? I'm going to say it depends. On its surface, I wouldn't have let her go over the one statement. I think what I would have done is given her a call and said, can you come into my office or can I come to yours? And can we sit down and talk? And then I would have expressed, listen, you are getting involved in a very polarizing public discourse and that's your right to do. But we're in business together and we're in the business of public perception and we don't want our product or our name or our business to be associated with that polarizing issue right now. And you're dragging us into it. Could you please not? <laughs> Can you please not? And if she said, no, nah, screw you, we're just going to do whatever, then, then I would say then with respect, we're going to move on just because we don't want to be a part of that discussion. Um, so I would say, yeah, if, if it was the first, like if they had had no discussion with her and they just saw she posted that, I would say, get on the phone with her respectfully ask her to take it down and say, look, we just want to be associated with that. Please stop that. And then I would continue to move on with her. But if we brought up those concerns with her and she said, now, nah, whatever, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'd probably, I would probably say, yeah, then we're going to move on. I don't know, Rob, this is a huge issue. And honestly, Rob, what I often find in issues like this, people tend to side with the point of view that they already agree with. Yeah. Like people only want to bring up free speech when it's free speech they agree with quite often. And I'm saying everybody does that. Everybody does that. But I don't know. Like this is a well-known movie franchise uh, that you've had. I mean, Nev Campbell is the star of the series, but Melissa has been the main lead of the last two films. She was expected to be the main lead going into the next one. And they made the decision to let her go. Did they act too hastily? Did they make the right move? What would you have done in their situation? How do you address this? I am a staunch supporter of free speech, even when people say things that I might vehemently disagree with. And remember, when people say free speech, that means that the government can't control free speech. Right. It doesn't mean that we can police each other's speech. So we are, our, our system of government guarantees us the First Amendment free speech. But you put it very, very beautifully, very succinctly and explained when you're working for somebody, you represent them and you have to, you have to maintain that. And my whole thing is I will defend people's, uh, uh, as ill-conceived as opinions might be, or as much as I might disagree with them, as long as they don't veer into outright hate speech against, you know, certain people's individuals, whatever, then I'm like, look, you might have what I consider a bad take, but I'm not going to fire you for that. If anything, uh, like you said, have a conversation with somebody, bring somebody in, talk to them about this. Because the thing is, from what I understand, she wasn't espousing the, uh, a view that is not being talked about by half the planet, if not more so. This is not, her position is not something that, that many people don't also agree with. She's not coming out of some firebrand from left field. Yeah, she's not a flat earther. No, n no, not no. And, and while I might have disagreed with something she might have said, here's the thing. What I want is I want educated, informed discourse. And when someone says something that I would consider to be fairly ill-informed or like a flat earther, bring them in and say, look, we need to have a conversation. I can't have you telling people the earth is flat and I'm willing to present to you why I believe that you shouldn't think this way. And if after the information I present to you, you still want to believe the earth is flat, I think we're going to have to part ways. I think that's the, look, this Not is as the, a punishment on you, but rather 
you protecting your own uh, my own company your own my company, own yes. company you're not cannot, punishing you're, you're protecting yourself yeah we can't i can't i cannot support such scientific disinformation the earth is not flat <laughs> and i'm not going to have you work for me i can i can we we can measure we can build our own hot air balloon with stuff we can buy and we can send a gopro up into orbit standing right here and i can prove to you the earth is not flat and if you're still going to believe it i can't have you working for me um, I, I, I want to bring up this thing too, because it was all over YouTube just a little while ago. There was a thing where a guy went into that fast food restaurant and just started unloading in this like racist rant on a couple of the kids working behind the thing. And guess what? The company that he works for saw that. And even though what happened had nothing to do with the company, the company's like, we can't have your behavior reflecting on our company. Not, not, that, not that Melissa went on some massive you know, racist rant or whatever. But I mean, the, the principle is just there. It's like the company is, their number one job is to protect itself and to protect the interests of everybody else who works there too. I just wish that in this cantankerous time over uh, really what's an awful situation, everybody is coming at it from all different angles. This is the time when our society needs to show that it can have cogent, learned, informed, thoughtful discourse. This is the time when firing people is maybe not the best course of action. Let's open a dialogue. Let's have conversation. Let's get ideas flowing uh, rather than polarize. But, you know, if companies got to do what they feel is right. You know, I back when I was running things at AMC, I mean, if, if somebody, if one of the people we had on staff just started talking a lot online about how movie theaters are stupid, I... They have the freedom to say that, but I might have to say to them, you're no longer, you're not aligned with what we're doing here. <laughs> like we have to part right. ways. If that, if that had happened, that would not be me trampling on their free speech. It's just that, you know what? There are now, because you're here, there are going to be people who make choices not to see our movie because of the things you're saying. Right. And that's hurting our business and we're in it for the business. So again, would I have let her go? Probably not. Probably not. Not on a, a first thing like that, but I think they had every right to let her go because they want people when they see scream to be thinking about scream that when people see posters for scream seven, they want people talking about and looking at and thinking about the product scream seven Rather than when they see a poster of Scream 7, what happened to Flash? When people saw trailers and posters of Flash, the conversation wasn't about Flash. It was about Ezra Miller. And that's what they didn't want to have. Not what she did is equivalent to Ezra Miller, but they didn't want what she was discussing online to be the topic of conversation. And rightly or wrongly, this this is part of the price of being a public figure, of being famous. It's part of, of your business. It's part of the business. And, and unfortunately, it's 24-7. You know, if you're going to be in something where someone's investing tens of millions of dollars to make it, what they're investing is part of that investment is in you, the star of whatever it is you're in. Yeah. And at the moment in any business, but particularly show business, the public perception business, if you are doing things that is ultimately going to cost the business money and could potentially have a negative impact on their business, then the business has a right to move in a different direction. But Again, it's not a great situation for anybody. And listen, no. Melissa Barrera is, I think, delightful. She's going to be fine. Um, 
And, uh, you know, we'll see how this thing all, and now everybody's going to have some very, very passionate opinions about this. I get it. Uh, but you know, bottom line for me, she had the right to say what she said. Company has a right to decide that they don't want to be associated with it. And it's just as simple as that. As and Neff Campbell's Campbell. sitting by her phone going, yep. I'm yeah. available. Yeah, suddenly you need now, a protagonist. Yep. Yeah, you're you're going to hear very very soon, especially with Jenna Ortega departing because of Wednesday and everything. I think you are very. They, she's going to get if she hasn't already gotten a call. Nev Campbell's going to get a call with a new offer that's a lot closer to what she was asking for before than what they were offering her before. I just want to believe that when she does get that call, the person from Spyglass, whoever calls her, says, "Hello, Sydney." <laughs> You're back, we have baby. Some money for you. You're back. They're going to throw all the money at her, I think, at this point. All right. With that down, guys, we're going to move on now and start taking your comments and questions. I'm sure you guys have a lot of thoughts about all this, and we're going to go and get to those. But before we do, we're going to take just a quick minute here and thank another sponsor of today's episode of the John Camp Show podcast. Actually, I got my Ryan Reynolds Christmas card last night. Uh, for, speaking of Mint Mobile, our friends, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for sponsoring today's episode of the john campus show podcast all right guys that down let's get over to your questions here shall we jonathan what we got here first uh hvc writes uh, i finally watched it's a wonderful life for the first time uh -huh. i absolutely loved it what are some of your favorite classic christmas movies uh alistair's uh, christmas carol uh, it was obviously one of them, the the original Red uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But honestly, and I know this sounds so weird, my new favorite Christmas movie ever is the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I know this sounds ridiculous, but it really is. I love that. But It's a Wonderful Life is so great. You got a favorite one? Dude, it came out in 4K this week. Love Actually, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I never think of that as a Christmas movie, but it really is. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there's so many great classic Christmas. I, look, It's a Wonderful Life is still a great Christmas movie. Oh, it's an all, not just a great Christmas movie. It's an all-time great movie. And it's period. one of the great fantasy films yeah. ever made. All right. What's next? Yeah. Did you see they're releasing Love Actually in theaters? I did not. Oh, that's cool. The new 4K transfer. Yep. yep. Yeah. All right. So Chris Miner says, a huge Thanksgiving before tomorrow. Got a promotion and raise at my job. Nice. Will move yeah. me to Philly. Uh, I feel, you know, it's always sunny there. I feel like <laughs> Dwight Schrute uh, when he finally became branch manager at Dunder Mifflin. That's yeah. awesome, Chris. Go enjoy Philadelphia. See if you can find Jason Kelsey somewhere. Give him a big hug. Become an Eagles fan. 
all that kind of stuff. Always good to hear when people are having some good. You know, we often talk about the rough things that are happening and, and hearing from people that are having rough things happening. We'll talk about It's always kind of nice to hear when little victories happen too. So thanks for sharing that, man. All right, what's next? Um, in my honest opinion, reviews writes, I never wanted a Scream 7. The last one ended perfectly. Hope more of the cast back out and they dropped the project entirely. <laughs> come on, come on. It's not like Scream is some epic tale like a Lord of the Rings is like, listen, they had great, ed- they had they had many places in the Scream franchise where you could have just ended it. You make another one because you could make another one. I mean, let's not pretend the Scream franchise is anything more than that. You make another one just because you can make another one. And listen, these are movies you make for bus fare and they make $150 million. So as long as people are still, enough people are still going out to see it, why not? I mean, listen, I, I, I was not clamoring to see the last one. I was not clamoring to see the one before that, but I went to go see both of them and that's what'll happen with Scream 7. All right, what's next? Kyler Hoddock writes, uh, who has had more influence on modern cinema, Scorsese, Spielberg, Coppola, or Lucas? If you want to talk about the totality of the industry rather than certain aspects of it, I'll go ahead and say George Lucas. And and the reason I'll say George Lucas is, number one, Star Wars is the most pop culturally, culturally relevant films ever. I don't think there's ever been any movies that are referenced more, whatever, in other media than Star Wars. But besides that, George Lucas also became a uh, pioneer in how filmmakers' relationships with studios can work, with building his own studio, with developing technologies that became a part of everyday Hollywood life. ILM alone. ILM alone. Skywalker Sound. uh, uh, THX. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, ILM's contributions to Spielberg movies. Yeah, even it just... So for that reason, I'd have to say George Lucas. What about you? 100%. Even the split with Star Trek and and Star Wars, Wrath of Khan and all that still came out? uh, Came out of ILM. I mean, I would totally... I totally agree with you. I would say that from an... Like you said, from an industry perspective. However, I would say from a filmmaking perspective that all three of those other gentlemen have influenced all the filmmakers that are working today. 100%. I mean, even I was listening to a, an old interview with Quentin Tarantino when he was talking about Spielberg's directing prowess and how Spielberg, and he was like, I can't do that. You know, and, and Spielberg is, the guy's a savant when it comes to the language of cinema. All right, what's next? Uh, we got uh, Red One Real Talk. Been meaning to watch Kingdom of Heaven, but I've heard it's a rare case where director's cut is superior to original. That's, I agree. Yeah. Which would you recommend, that one? Well, I, listen, I'm not in the same boat as everybody that the director's cut of um, of that is amazing. I don't think it is, but it is better Yeah. because the movie's not good. <laughs> I just don't think the movie's good, but I think the director's cut is good. I think it's it makes it takes a, a poor movie and makes it a, a pretty decent. I movie. think in that particular instance, though, the difference is so vast. Yeah, that, unlike most director's cuts. Yes, most yeah. director's cuts add things here and there, but that Kingdom of Heaven significantly changes the experience of that yeah, movie. Yeah, I agree. All right, what's next? We've got Raymond Verada who writes, um, from Variety, Daryl Hall filed a restraining order against John Oates over a confidential legal matter. Uh, I'm saddened, though. People ask, what did John do? He and Daryl were more successful together. Uh, I don't know anything about that, but uh, like Hall and Oates, I think maybe to this day, they still hold like 
the record for most number one hits by a duo or group or something like that. I, I heard somebody say, mention a record a couple of years ago that they still hold today. Uh, when I was a little kid, I mean, they were the music man of that, that era. Like Maneater was, was hauling notes too, yeah. right? Like, like I, to imagine them like being at odds with each other now. is That's so is, weird. That's sad too. Maybe that's going to turn out to actually be about cannibalism. You never and know. That's that's what's gonna come out. Oh jeez, <laughs> man eater, get it? Huh? Yeah. Oh, boom. <laughs> All right, what's next? Sorry. Well, oh, Harry Katsaros is next and says, from what I understand, only the four and a half hour version of Napoleon is going to be available on Apple TV Plus. So there's roughly two hours missing from the theatrical version. Was it a mistake to release theatrically? That's a lot of whether lot it was a mistake to release theatrically is going to come down to how much money does it make. If it flops like Killers of the Flower Moon did, then yes, it was a mistake to release it theatrically. I, <laughs> I mean, I think it was. I think it was Jeremy Johns. Yes, people did not the same Napoleon. <laughs> oh, I thought this was from maybe this was a deleted scene. I don't know. <laughs> a deleted uh, scene. Yeah. This is where he was having uh, dinner with the Russian uh, man. Yeah, they cut out the part where he time travels with a couple of kids <laughs> yeah. in a phone booth. And that girl looks so period accurate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so period accurate. So, um, <laughs> Napoleon. <laughs> I, I think it was Jeremy Johns who, in talking about Napoleon, he said Napoleon, and he's absolutely right about this is a movie that both felt like it was way too long and way too short. Um, at the end of the day, they he really should have streamlined this movie much better and made it more of a character-driven story because it just, a best-of-hits clip show, it, it for me, it did not work. So we'll, we'll ultimately see, um, does the four-plus-hour cut fill in those gaps? I'd hope. Or does it just exacerbate the problem? It's like, it's just even more <laughs> nonsense. I didn't even know that they were going to do that, but now it just kills any desire I have to go see the movie in the theater. Yeah. yeah. All right, what's next? So, uh, Sorafan, Sorafan writes, saw that Jenna Ortega just left Scream 7 due to scheduling on Wednesday season two. Should they even make Scream 7? Trench coats forever. Sorry, <laughs> not sorry, Ray. Well, I mean, look, the... Here's the thing. For most movies, you think, okay, you got this franchise and the two main stars are now out. Do you even bother continuing? That's a, that's a valid thing to have. That's a valid discussion to have. But this is Scream. Has anybody ever gone to see a Scream movie because of who is or isn't starring in it? I've actually never seen a Scream movie. I mean, there's that. What? So there's that. No. Yeah. Not um, even the first one? No. And again, something I just point out, the last Scream movie did not have the star of the franchise, Nev Campbell. She wasn't even in it the last one and it did just fine. So under other circumstances and other movies, I would say, yeah, that's a discussion to have about whether or not she even do. like if they were about to make oceans, another oceans 11 movie. Oh, but Brad Pitt and George Clooney can't be in it. Now, I'm not talking about making a spinoff like, um, Cape Lanchette's spinoff. That's fine. But you know, we're doing the next part of the oceans. What 11. if you did a movie with all the oceans characters, kids? Oh, well, that's yes. different. Well, that, that's an entirely different movie, right? But, with a scream movie that let's face it is only making a buck 50 to 200 million anyway. And nobody really does or does not go to these movies because of who the actors in them are. I think with scream, like I don't think you can do Wednesday season two without Jenna Ortega. No, but I think you can do another scream movie without the two. Uh, not, not of all franchises, but with this particular franchise, I think and Jenna Ortega is making the right choice because the Wednesday franchise now, even oh, as part of a different is her. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's next? 
Uh, Bubba Downs, let me just uh, do this. Just reminding you of when evil lurks. What's what? I guess he's reminding you of it, but I'm not sure what it is. Let me look it up. Is, is that a the shadow reference? No, no, that's not shadow. I don't, I don't know what we're referencing. Anyway, what's it's next? It's a movie that comes out. Guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Guzman writes, uh, Obi was the better biopic and better lover. Again, I don't know what we're talking about. Opie. Oh, oh Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer. Oh, oh. oh yeah. Oppenheimer was in every way superior movie. I mean, it was character focus. They developed all the stories. It had a narrative flow. It's just in every way it was. I mean, no, not every way. Napoleon was the better visual movie. It was. But um, every other way, Oppenheimer was the better. Dude, film. Oppenheimer was the bomb. Oh, God. <laughs> Amin uh, says, I really want to see Killers of Hopefully I still have a job after this. I really want to see Killers of the Flower Moon and so do other members of my family. But the two reasons why we haven't yet is the A uh the the is A the length and B the fact that it will be released on Apple TV soon. But I mean that's that's any movie. That can be said of any movie. Now with the new release window of 45 days, you can say that about any movie. Like it'll be on streaming soon. It is 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 uh a reason, a validation, an excuse, whatever, whatever word you want to use about absolutely any movie out there. It's not like it's unique to Killers of the Flower Moon. It's true of every film. All right, what's next? Uh, David Lita writes, I thought YouTube was glitching on me in the DraftKings sponsor ad. It was John going 100 miles per hour at the end. Wow. Yeah, so here's why that happens. I'm sure you've heard that happen in, in other ads on the radio or whatever. It's because the disclaimer that we need to read, yeah. uh, uh, that we rightfully need to read, is like when I just read at normal speed is a minute and a half long by itself, longer than the ad is supposed to be. So we have to speed it up to be able to get the disclaimer in and have it in a certain time frame. I'm sorry. I just wanted to go back to that one guy who uh, or girl, whoever said when evil lurks. I just wanted to go on it. It has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, 98 reviews. Came out on October 6th. I remember this title because when we're talking about what movies to watch during uh, Halloween... I looked up a top 10 and this was like their number one. And that's why the uh, title sound familiar. Anyway, it's streaming now. It started streaming October 27th. So anybody who wants to watch a horror film, this seems to be a good one. So All right. I don't even, I've, I've never even heard of it. Where is it? Uh, I just, I'm on. It's on I, I Shutter? I'm going to guess it's probably Netflix. <laughs> I, on Sh- I, I, sounds, I, I know it sounds bad to say. If it's a Shutter movie, I doubt it has 98 reviews. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm Although probably, there's some good stuff on Shudder. I'm not saying there's not. I'm just saying I don't think a ton of the critics are watching Shudder. That's uh, fair or unfair. All right, what's next? Suthia says, watch Marvels a second time. Really don't like the decision of having Darben speak the way she does. Her cadence, uh, her grills definitely doesn't help. she have grills? I don't recall her having grills. Yeah. But, like, there's so much forgettable. And again, it's not, it's not uh, Tom Hiddleston's girlfriend's fault. The girl who plays Darben is Tom Hiddleston's real life partner. Um, it's not the actress's fault. It was they just literally gave us no reason to care. They just they just didn't give us. It's much like what I was saying with Wish. It's the big problem with a lot of Marvel, a lot of Disney films today. You get some great characters. We all love the characters in the film, but you just completely fall flat on your face in writing a great story around it, even with some great potential setup. It's just it's really unfortunate. All right, what's next? Um, Taki 75 writes, Richmond said the original plan for God of Stories Loki was that after the Avengers defeat in Kang Dynasty, he recruits a multiversal team to face Kang. 
Did when, he actually say that? Because if so, that sounds like something the snipers at Marvel would shoot him in the head for. <laughs> giving away what the ending of an upcoming Avengers movie yeah. is going to be. I Did he actually say that or are people interpreting that? I, I have a hard time believing he would say that, but I mean, maybe he did. Didn't they already kind of do that too? With I certainly with, haven't seen it. With... Uh, with um, Infinity War, like Thanos wins, and then the second yeah. one, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh well. All right. What's next? Uh, Andy writes: Have Matt Damon fight? Oh, have Matt Damon fight the tracksuit mafia in the new Bourne movie? Call it Jason Bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jason Bro. You know what? That's pretty funny. That is pretty I'm sorry, funny. That's pretty good. I want to see more of the tracksuit mafia. I don't care what anybody says. That was it's one of the few things back. I liked about the stupid Hawkeye show. I like the tracksuit mafia. <laughs> I like that one. All right. What's next? Seconds from Disaster says Ray's story sucked after The Force Awakens. The character can be redeemed, but unlikely. My problem is uh, I don't like Daisy Ridley in the role at all. Oh. See, I'm not like you. I, I like Daisy Ridley in the <laughs> role. You. I like Daisy Ridley in the role. The, the, none of the problem with the Ray character was Daisy Ridley. That's that wasn't the problem. Can the character be redeemed after the way they drove that character into the dirt? Yes, hundred percent. Yes. The question I pose, and the problem as I see it is, why would you start when you're already so far behind? Like, why start? With a character you, number one, got to do a lot of work to redeem in the first place. Why not start with a character that you get to have a clean sh slate with, where no baggage comes along with the character, or positive baggage comes along with the character? Why would you start 50 yards behind the start line and expect to win the race? I, so I agree. The character can be redeemed. It could be a great movie. I hope it's awesome. I will cheer for it. But I just question the wisdom of, you know, going to a car race. They just had the big F1 race in, in Vegas. Why would you go to the race with a broken car? Well, we can fix the car. Sure, you can fix the car, but why not go with a perfect car? Why not, why go with a busted one already? It just, it just doesn't, that's, and that's what the Ray character is right now, a broken down car. People of an underground, underdog story. That's true. <laughs> and, and Andy Dwyer said they also love good comeback story. Some people know that reference. I won't, anyway. All right, what's next? Uh, speaking of Andy, he writes, uh, Hi, Robert. There are a lot of possession and exorcism films, and they've gotten bland. <laughs> Could these horror films be more original and add ninjas to them? <laughs> yes. As everyone knows, I mean, first of all, look, I love movies about the devil. Anything to do with <laughs> Satan worshipers, the devil himself. I love movies about the devil. He's a great antagonist. But it is very true that nothing can't be made better with the proper application of ninjas. And bacon. Bacon, bacon ninjas. And ninjas make everything better. Bacon, By the way, can I just point ninjas. out that thank you, Kino Lorber, oh. because they just released American Ninja 1 and American Ninja 2 oh, wow. and Enter the Ninja on uh, Blu-ray. Michael Dudikoff <laughs> and Steve James. Steve James left us way too early. Rest in peace. He died of cancer. But man, do I love American Ninja. <laughs> and man, that company just... Went out of business. Now, when do they come out with Jim Cotta? Dude, a new kind of martial arts superhero. That's Kurt right. Thomas. Do you know I took a date to that? To Jim Cotta? Dude, really? I took a date First to Jim date. Cotta. And, and to speak to the greatness of her, her name's Catherine Kent. Uh, she's still lovely. Uh, she still went out with me. 
<laughs> Even after after Jim Cotta, because that movie, baby. John, is not good. <laughs> it's not. All right, what's next? We got, in my honest opinion, reviews. Wish uh, was done by the same people behind Frozen. I'm not. I'm now sure the next uh, two Frozen movies will be great to make up for how incredibly bad, bad this one is. Define the people behind it. What does that mean? Disney. <laughs> yeah, Disney. Like the producers. Like, is it the same writers? Ray, you want to look yeah. up uh, like Frozen and on IMDb, see the writer, like the writers, the because if it wasn't the same writers and the same directors, then it's not the same people behind it. Yeah, you might have producers or whatever, but um, I, I won't be concerned about it at all. It's not because Bob Iger talked the other day that the director of the Frozen films has been nothing but hard at work on Frozen oh, three man. and four. So I don't think that's it. As long as it wasn't her, I think they're fine. But once you find that, Ray, let yeah, me know. I'll get back. All right, what's next? Tomorrow. Curtis Lopez says, <laughs> uh, wish was disappointing. Also, the Disney Easter eggs were super obnoxious. They yes, were. We get it. Her friends have the personalities of the seven dwarves. Shut up. I mean, look, it, it, the part of the, the novelty, I guess, of the it, shtick of the movie was that it's part of the 100-year anniversary of Disney. So they put in like a Bambi reference and they put in a this reference. And none of that bothered me, to be honest with you. It's just that the movie wasn't great. So I see two names that are writers that wrote Frozen and wrote Wish. It's Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck. Really? There's a middle person that um, is different. <laughs> There's a third See, that is that is concerning, but I would be more concerned if they didn't already do Frozen 1, or two, one and 2, because they clearly do great with the Frozen properties, but that is concerning uh, that they... But look, everybody has a bad day at the office. Scorsese, Spielberg. We don't. If we don't, no. We just put out banger after banger here yeah, every banger single banger. day. Never an off day on the Never John Campion show. An off day. All right, what's next? <laughs> Never an off day. Bro. Never an off day. Uh, Emilio uh, says Marvel hasn't announced a Young Avengers project. That's why I was asking if uh, Iman slipped it out before they did. But yeah, the ending scene basically confirms it. Oh, that was from his comment yesterday. Yeah, so uh, Emilio wrote in the other day saying, hey, like uh, Iman Vellani, who plays, who's fabulous playing Ms. Marvel, uh, kind of said something, mentioned a Young Avengers movie. Did she just spoil something she just let it out blah blah like she just like reveal marvel's plans i'm like dude we all saw the end of the marvels right. well looking at the box office maybe not all of us saw the end of the marvels but many of us saw the end of the marvels they basically just put it on a tray with a like a big silver tray with a place card that says young avengers and did this to the audience so like it was already pretty much there but i see what you're saying all right, what's next? Samuel Shin says, it's crazy how they lost Nev for six, Melissa and Jenna for seven, just unreal. Again. Three different reasons. How many actors have they gone through in Scream? There have been, been a lot of actors who've been in one of them, two of them, whatever, come and go. It's not really... And listen, I also want to point this out too, and this is no disrespect meant to Melissa Barrera or Jenna Ortega at all, but let's not pretend like they're big box office draws. Let's not pretend that the last two Scream movies made $700 million at the box office. Um, it's, it's not. And Jenna Ortega is becoming a big star. And I love Jenna Ortega. 100% I love her. But, you know, even her, how, how much did X make at the box office? You know, she's in that. That didn't make anything. I'm not saying she's not a draw. I'm just saying let's not pretend there's something that they're not right now. So I don't know that it's as, as important as some people are going to want to make it out to be. But eh, well, we'll see. All right, what's next? 
John Redcorn says, do you think Brie Larson will continue as Captain Marvel after Secret Wars? Why deal with Trolls Online and Marvel's uh, B box office? Well, the Mar oh, the Marvel's box office, and they are making a third film. Money, 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 money. She's getting paid truckloads of Spanish gold bullion to be in those movies. She just, now, whether she'll still be in it after Secret Wars, <laughs> Secret Wars is Thank years you. away. Right now, we have no idea. I have no idea if Shang-Chi is going to be in it after Secret Wars. I have no idea if Thor's going to be in it. I have no idea if Kevin Feige is going to be there after Secret Wars. I don't think he will, by the way. But, I mean, who knows after that? But recently, Brie Larson did just do a, uh, an interview where she made it said pretty definitively, yeah, they've already got plans for her for the next couple of movies that she's going to appear in. Probably are the Avengers films. She's got a TV series on Apple Plus. That everybody is raving about and I haven't seen. So I have no idea. Have you watched it at all? I haven't. I just saw a clip. And you know, I, I for all the online hate she gets from our fil film pundit community, she's an Academy Award winning leading actress. Oh, yeah. And let's, let's, let's be honest. The only reason there's the hate against her is because she mentioned that film critics of more diverse backgrounds should be allowed into screenings. That's it. There was none of the hate before that. And are those people trying to impede her free speech? No, they're allowed to react to it whatever they, way they want. I'm just saying, uh, like, let's be clear. I, like, there was never any criticism of her of an actress and her acting skill prior to that. It's only been since then. Yeah, and you know what? If I was ever given an opportunity to, I don't know, buy her a milkshake and sit down and talk with her about her career, I'd love to do that. Oh, yeah, me too. Absolutely. All right, what's next? We've Milk got Callum writes, um, Ray, do you think CM Punk is going to return on Saturday? Looks like 50-50 chance to me. No, I don't think so. In unless they're, re I, I listen to a lot of wrestling, like dirt sheet sort of stuff on YouTube. Uh, I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. But we know Randy Orton's coming back, so. He's been gone for years, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, so it'd be good to see him back. But yeah, you know, I would love to see CM Punk anywhere, but just, just. Just change up the attitude a little bit. Like, get along with your coworkers. All right, what's next? Uh, Kayak writes, John, um, you said that it may be too late for a sequel to Big Hero 6, but we are getting new Inside Out, which came out only eight months later. Also, mm -hmm. sequels to Puss in Boots and The Incredibles were released 11 and 14 years after the first films, respectively. Um, Big Hero 6 grossed more than either of them and got 90 on Rotten Toma Tomatoes. On paper, it's a safe bet to greenlight new Big Hero 6, is it not? Here's the problem. You're leaving out the other part of that that I said. The other part of it that I said when, when talking about that, that is directly connected about why I said it might be a little bit too late, is because they already went in a different direction with Big Hero 6. They started making animated shows, and they start, start taking it all in that direction, none of which did those other projects do. And they kind of ran out the juice in the IP doing that. And listen, would I be for another Big Hero 6? Absolutely I would be. I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was really good. But again, they went in a different direction. They had these Baymax cartoons and all that kind of stuff, none of which was particularly successful. So I just think they drained out the gas. And that's, that's part of the reason why I said it's kind of too late for it, I think. But I hope they do it, and I would love it if they did, because I, I would be there for it for sure. All right, what's next? 
Uh, Imperial Executioner writes, Hi, crew. Happy Wednesday. Does Dave Filoni's new role at Lucasfilm seem somewhat similar to James Gunn's set of responsibilities in DC? <laughs> no. No. I wonder how their authorities compare. Appreciate you all. Well, one is authority. One yeah, is one is authority. One is not. Like, Dave Filoni himself was very explicit in describing his role. He does not have green lighting authority. Right. James Gunn is the CEO. He is well, him and Peter Safran. He has all the decision making authority. He decides which movies do get made, which movies don't get made, who will be the producers assigned to those movies, who will be the directors on those movies, what direction they want the overall thing to go. That is not what Dave Filoni's new role is. Dave Filoni was very clear himself in explaining. He says, I don't tell, I don't get to tell other people what to do. He said, the main difference, this is Dave Filoni's own words. So the main difference is in previous years, I've been brought into all the projects, but much later in their development, like when things are already kind of set and I would come in and give some, some uh, recommendations and, and give some clarity on what lore was and all that kind of stuff. He said, now I'll get to be involved in that process much earlier, but he is not the one that green lights projects. He is not the one that gets to say what movies are going to be about. He gets to come in and work with the directors and all that kind of stuff and help influence and give guidance to those stories early on. Hence, a creative officer. And I think it is a great position for him. I really do. Again, you know, there's been some discussion. Dave Filoni should be the new CEO of Lucasfilm. Dave Filoni doesn't know shit about running a corporation. And ultimately, as the CEO, you're running a company and a corporation, which is why James Gunn turned down the job at DC at first until they said Peter Safran could be the co with him. Because that's a big part of it. But from a creative point of view, I think this is a really good position for Dave Filoni to have. And I, I think you're going to see positive effects. Now, I'd be more excited about if I liked Ahsoka and I didn't. But I think you're going to see really positive effects on Star Wars stories moving forward now that he gets to be involved in it. But yeah, do not confuse at all do not. the authority difference and the responsibility difference between Creative officer and chief executive. Those are two very, very different things. Galaxies differences in authority levels, 100%. All right, what's next? Red One Real Talk says, crazy to think this year may give us two sequels to billion-dollar films that only made a, make a fraction of the original's box office with the Marvel struggling and Aquaman looking less than stellar. Yeah, listen, it's going to be really interesting to see how Aquaman does. I don't think Aquaman is going to do $200 million. I think it'll do much better than that. I don't, but I, I don't think it's going to get, I don't think it does half as well as the first one. First one made over a billion dollars, a billion dollars. I don't, I don't think this one makes 500. And by the way, if it does make 500 million, it'll be the first DC film in over five years to do it. First <laughs> DC film out of the last eight to make over $400 million. I think it can do that. I think it can do that. But yeah, it's not going to be anywhere near. And I think even then, the com combination of now eight films still doesn't outgross uh, Spider-Man. No Way Home. Yeah, no film. <laughs> but again, I'll say the same thing about the new Aquaman that I said about the Marvels. Because if you guys watched the other day, I said, I believe this. I can't prove it, but I believe this. If the Marvels came out in like 2018, pre-pandemic, before the reputation and the perception of Marvel has declined. Because it has. It has. You can be the biggest fan in the world of Marvel, but you've got to acknowledge that their overall quality level has declined. People's perception of their quality level has declined. All that kind of stuff. I believe if the Marvels came out in like 2018, that movie doesn't make a billion dollars like the first Captain Marvel did. 
but I think it makes 600 million. I, I think I think it does much. And I'm going to say the same thing about Aquaman 2. I don't think Aquaman 2 necessarily would have made a billion dollars, but if it had come out shortly after the first Aquaman, before this long stretch of DC films that failed to hit $400 million and the reputation of the product declined, 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 whatever this Aquaman makes, I think it could have made double if it came out earlier. But the reality is the context we are in is hurting these films. It's not the main culprit. I'm not saying that. But it's one of the things that's hurting him. I about. totally agree with you. All right. What's next? DS says, is Kathy Kennedy here to stay now? She survived the Indy 5 semi-disaster. I talked about this a little bit yesterday because you guys remember about a year or so ago, or maybe a little bit less than a year, I told you that, that I had heard it was done. She was going to be gone and it'll be by the end of the year. I said, it'll be after Indiana Jones, but it'll be by the end of the year. But I have to question now whether that's legit for a couple of reasons. One, from what I understand, and I haven't heard anybody confirm this yet, but what I heard is that it was not Bob Iger that gave Dave Filoni the new position and created the new position for Dave Filoni. I heard it was actually Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, that's what I read too. Yeah, I, it, that Kathleen Kennedy is the one who just created this new position and promoted Dave Filoni in that spot. And you would think if she was on her way out the door by the end of December, which is what I have believed up until now, that she wouldn't be able to make moves like that. Also, the other big thing that really made me start questioning what I had heard was when they announced the Ray movie. Because I'm like, that's definitely a Kathleen Kennedy decision. Nobody over there is saying, let's do another Ray movie except Kathleen Kennedy. And... I mean, she, you, she's still got to do the job up until the day she leaves. And maybe she does leave by the end of the year. And maybe the next person comes in. The first thing they do is scrap the Ray movie. Maybe that happens. But I'm just saying the very fact that that got announced makes me wonder about whether or not she really is leaving. Because I listen, all the respect, all due respect to Kathleen Kennedy, first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the Steven Spielberg says the greatest producer in the history of Hollywood. But she has not been a good studio head. And I think it's in her best interest and in the best interest of Star Wars that she moves on and, and goes back to doing what, what she's one of the best in the world at doing, just straight up being a producer. But we'll find out. We're almost to the end of the year. We're a month and a half away. We'll see. All right, what's next? Mighty Tank says, where's my boy Joseph Gordon-Levitt been? Seems like he hasn't been in a high-profile film recently. He's not one of the elite actors, but I always look forward to anything he's in. It's funny you mention that. I was just going the other day. We had friends over who wanted to see pictures of all the people I interviewed, right? That, and that's a long list. And we came across one of when Joseph Gordon-Levitt came in to sit down with me at my office when I had my office over at the AMC. And he spent the afternoon with me. And then I went into his first screening of his, what was it called again? Dawn, Dawn something. Where it's, it's Scarlett Johansson. Oh, yeah. Uh, see if you can look up the name of that. I can't forget the name of the movie now, but he, he had Scarlett Johansson in it with him. And I got to go in and I, I did the Q&A with him and all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking, Don John, thank you, birth in the live chat was the first one to say Co uh, Cosmics, right. Charles Safer, a bunch of guys putting in Don John. And I remember thinking to myself, where the hell has he been? I know he had a couple of smaller things. Mm -hmm. Like there was something about an airplane uh, thing that he was in. This dude is A-list talent. 
I think I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt has Oscar potential. I think he's a fabulous actor. I don't know why he's not in more high-profile things right now. Rob, have you heard? Anything? I have no. Maybe just, he was in the. It was plane, right? Where he was in the cockpit of a plane. Yeah, some, something about. Yeah, I, I mean, think maybe he just took some time off. I mean, he's got. I hope that's he, it. He's got like some like a few things in twenty three and twenty two. Was apparently he was the hourly dong voice in Glass Onion, um, and then oh, that's he's got funny. like seven things coming up. But yeah, Beverly not Hills. like huge things. Yeah, Beverly Hills, Axel Foley. Beverly oh, he's Hills in the new Cop. Beverly Hills Cop movie. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, there you go. Why are they not promoting that? It's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it. Oh well. Oh, yeah. All right. What's next? I love that guy. Uh, let's see. Um. We did all those. We've got what's cooler for Star Wars, a baby goblin or cannibal teddy bears from Culture Wars Diplomacy? What? Oh, the Ewoks. So Ewoks no, are baby it, goblins. Ewoks are only um, cannibalistic if they eat their own. They don't. They eat people. Like lions aren't cannibalistic. They just eat people. They're man eaters. Um, man, I love the Ewoks. Ewoks are more important. But let's face it. Mandalorian became a global phenomenon not at the beginning of the show, but at the end of the first show when little freaking baby Yoda showed up. When little baby Yoda showed up, that changed everything for Mandalorian because now suddenly people who never cared to watch a Star Wars movie, I have personally talked to many women in my life who are like, ah, somebody sent me a clip of the baby Yoda now I watch the show. <laughs> I mean, that changed everything. Can't say the same thing about the Ewoks, even though the Ewoks are better. All right, last question of the day. What's next? And it is our last question. Um, Uncle Jesse writes, not including something from Star Wars, Star Trek, or superhero movies, what's a movie prop you would want to have that would actually work in real life? Mine would be the hoverboard from Back to the Future. But that wouldn't work in real life. <laughs> no, but he's saying, but it could actually oh, work. Oh, okay. Uh, that's not a comic book superhero. Or... I don't know. I would have to think about that. The Necromonicon? But the hoverboard in Back to the Future 2, that's what you want when you have access to a time machine? Yeah, to the actual car. I take the damn DeLorean. Yeah, After the DeLorean. DeLorean, you keep the hoverboard. I'd go back I'll and buy crypto DeLorean. when it was a dollar and sell it for 60000 You would need to have plutonium. <laughs> a freaking party I could go steal it. All right. Papers. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions. Number one, because you gave us fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported our channel while you did it. Now, a little bit of a programming note for those of you who are still here. Tomorrow is American Thanksgiving, not yeah. real Thanksgiving, American. which, of course, Canadians know happens in October. Thanksgiving. But American Thanksgiving is tomorrow. So um, we are still going to have a show, but it's just going to be me. I'm giving the rest of these lazy jackasses the day off. Uh, I'll be doing the show myself. So uh, for those of you who are, are just getting ready to have to put up with uh, your relatives coming over that you don't really want to see, we're going to have a show tomorrow. It'll be earlier than normal, though. It's going to be tomorrow's show is going to be at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. He's on Toronto time tomorrow. Yep. That'll be noon East Coast time. The reason I'm doing a little bit earlier is because me and my uh, married into family, we're going out for <laughs> Thanksgiving tomorrow. So Ray, me and uh, their mom, their sister, my brother-in-law, we we got a little tradition we've started up. We're going out for Thanksgiving. So I got to do that, but we're going to do the John Campus show a little bit earlier. Again, it's just going to be me and those of you guys who want to come along for the ride. So hope to see you there. And then full regular show on Friday. We're looking forward to seeing you guys then. So for myself, Ray Ora, yep. Jonathan Voico, yeah. Robert Meyer Burnett. Thanksgiving. <laughs> all will be carved. Dark meat. All will be carved. That'll do it for us for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.
<laughs> Born James. <laughs> <laughs> Le Born.